all boys and girls and all other, um, appropriate genders of monster out there in the horoscope. And welcome to another special edition of the Major Film Reviews podcast with me, uh, Death Major, and my co-host, Angel Ruloff. Say hello, Angel. Hello, Angel. Again, I get <laughs> caught by that every month. Um, we have to now. We can't just stop that now. <laughs> I'm going to change it next month. I'm going to say something different, I'm sure. I keep it, I, I do actually kind of expect it to be changed and be like, what do I say now? <laughs> <laughs> so you catch us in a very spooky mood this week. So as this uh, episode goes up, I'm going to upload it on Halloween. So this is going to be our Halloween special on the podcast. Are you a fan of Halloween, Angel? I am indeed. Although for for me personally, it's um, Soween, so... That's yeah. It's it's my uh, bloody my foreigners coming over here and changing our holidays. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> how technical do you want? <laughs> no, no, that's that's a Celtic festival. It's 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 one of our yeah. It's 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 it's, it's one of ours. <laughs> bloody it's Celts just... coming back here and reinforcing the beliefs on us. <laughs> right. <laughs> With your banshees and the Wendigo, indigenous to America. I wouldn't know, to be honest. <laughs> oh, I am slacking on my mythology. I say mythology. I mean, hmm. but yeah, we're we're the reasons why we carve turnips. Oh, later pumpkins. Um, you're welcome for trying to, you know. Let our ancestors, you know, be peaceful and find their way. Every day is a school day and all that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. So, um, because I, I always thought that Halloween was a kind of like really Americanized tradition, which is why I'm not really a big fan of it. Whoops, dropped a bomb there. Um, yeah, I'm it's, I'm not a fan. Pers- personally, heavily, heavily commercialized over the past few years. Like growing up in Holland, we didn't do Halloween at all whatsoever. We just saw it as like an American TV thing, mm. and then moving over to England over the past few years, it's just become more and more of a capitalist holiday. Yeah, I, I know that it's sorry, sweet. <laughs> it kind of um, it goes back to like pagan traditions, doesn't it? And um, yeah, All Hallows Eve kind of thing, things like that. Mm-hmm. And I think there's some association in Mexico with the Day of the Dead too. So um, I can understand all of that, but it really kind of annoys me when we kind of invent days and holidays to, to, just as an excuse to make more money. And it's yeah. it's usually things that come over to Britain from America, like Black Friday, as well, which is another one. Which is like we don't celebrate Thanksgiving, so why so why do we take part in Black Friday? Of course, I know the answer is because it makes people money, but mm. but ostensibly, like I don't I don't think we're far off from having a Thanksgiving coming over to the UK. To be honest, it would not surprise me at all. Even though, I mean, I have some very very strong opinions against Thanksgiving and it should just be cancelled permanently, basically. I don't see the point in you know, celebrating that's a day thing about where, the natives, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, it's just that's basically celebrating when American colonized 
load of people got murdered. And that's just putting it very lightly. (laughs) um, I I know that um, Native peoples in America are reclaiming Columbus Day now as Indigenous Peoples Day, which is a good step in the right direction. Yeah, and that's just... I mean, as an Italian, I do not claim Christopher Columbus at all whatsoever. Um, To that I say, vavanculo, bastardo. So just no um thanks <laughs> um, for those like new translations i'm basically saying fuck off you bastard um, <laughs> i think we could read between the lines to be fair. <laughs> yeah. well i mean i want to be clear about how i feel about him and <laughs> that's just may he burn in the fire of his tartarus forever just no it's all, all always the italians isn't it <laughs> i <laughs> Well, um, <laughs> I mean, we we could ask Boudica what her opinions are about the Italians. And yeah, in general. Um, but anyway, anyway. we veer <laughs> far too often. We do general these pop. We could just, you know, loop around in me like the horrors of history versus exactly the horrors of Halloween. Let's well, go no. from one nightmare to one on Elm Street. Well, the, um, the 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 horrors of history will always be worse than the horrors of the big screen. Let's be honest, because some really some really um, bad shit went down in history, like throughout all of history. History is basically just one one long timeline of endless bloodshed. Yeah, basically. One long timeline of endless misery, despair, and then we pop up at the very end to make it worse somehow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like a franchise, isn't it? Where it's just like, oh my yeah. god, this this horror scene is absolutely atrocious. It's um, personal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> History two, electric boogaloo. <laughs> oh, oof. In short, yeah. <laughs> But um, one thing that Halloween has brought us is it usually brings us around the new crop of um, horror films every year. This seems to be like Christmas has has a lot of big tempo releases. Halloween has the big horror releases, a lot of which leave a lot to be desired. But there is still quite a well, not to say quite a lot. There is a lot of mm. really good horror films to enjoy over the Halloween period. Um, mm. I've been reviewing a few on my on my website, majorfilmreviews.com, cheap plug, cheap plug, over the last few weeks, um, as well as the, the whole Hunger Games series, which isn't really a horror, horror film series, but I watched it, so I thought I'm not going to let those hours go to waste. Yeah. Um, so do you have, have any prevailing opinions on the horror genre? Are you a fan of the horror genre? Are you were a proponent of the horror scene? I used to be. In my younger years, in my teen years, I used to be very, very big on horror films, but I've kind of become a little too, shall we say, sensitive to certain aspects. Um, (laughs) I don't know how much detail is too much detail, but it just kind of hit a little too close to home. I'm like, yeah, I can't watch this anymore. Nope. Um, so I kind of go with more the children's section with pretty much everything now. <laughs> Stay safe. <laughs> well, there is there is still a hell of a lot of great stuff to be found in the children's section. I mean, Ghostbusters yeah. is pretty is pretty cool for yeah. you know. 
Yeah. There was a film version of that made a few years back with Jack Black. Jack Black's mm. always fun. Yeah. So. It was a pretty decent film. I actually really enjoyed it. Because I, I think, who hasn't really read the Goosebump books? I mean, I want to ask that, but then it's just like, maybe it's just the people I knew growing up. Or just like, it's a rite of passage. You just grew up reading Goosebumps and Roald Dahl. I think to be fair, Goosebumps, Goosebumps was a very like a, it's a little bit before my time, so it's probably like prevalent to a certain generation. But I, I certainly remember reading Roald Dahl. I loved Roald Dahl as a kid. Um, I remember the the Magic Key. I think it was called series with Chip and you know, a little kid called Chip, and he had a dog. But that was like school books. Uh, I remember seeing a few Goosebumps books floating around as a kid, but never. <laughs> Not literally. That that would have been fun. Yeah, I, <laughs> I mean, with with the library in Winnie, it wouldn't surprise me. God, yeah, that library was a bit threadbare, wasn't it? I, I once I once uh, requested a book there in year seven, and I was still waiting for it in year eleven. So, yeah, that doesn't surprise me. To be honest, <laughs> it probably is still on order to this day. Probably, it's it's probably lost in the systems or somewhere. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> like a librarian would be like, oh, this got requested, but it was from like 2001. Um, oh, it's on sale for 99p. Yeah, why not? <laughs> Even though like um, the old library from my school has now been demolished, it's probably still in the system somewhere. <laughs> mm. Oh, yeah, I keep forgetting that got torn down. Yeah, it's a, it's a brand new school now. Yeah. Um, wow. A new library as well, and the library's pretty central, so it's just like right in the middle of the school. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't actually been on on the new grounds yet. I just I kind of refuse to go anywhere near Phantom in general. Just too much trauma. <laughs> Speaking of trauma, how about yeah. those horror films there? Eh? <laughs> yeah. Um I noticed that my my top four are all children's Well, actually, no. The only that there's one that I would consider like late teens. At best, mm-hmm. maybe everything else you could watch with your kids. <laughs> I mean, not young kids, but all of mine are, are pretty. Um, most most of mine are pretty old. To be fair, um, I've I've only really been won over in a sense by the horror genre in the last few years, and it, it it's only by the films that use the genre well. Like I. I often can't help but roll my eyes at a lot of horror films because they tend to be the same. Like ev- yeah. every film seems the same to me, and there's certain horror tropes that just that don't make me jump. They just make me kind of roll my eyes with frustration and despair. Because, mm-hmm. like, for instance, jump scares. Like, it's not it's not a good way of scaring someone. It's a good way of startling someone, and it's yeah. not it's not the same. It's like the the re- the really great horror stories for me are the ones where like the things you're making up in your mind scare you a lot more than what so the 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 things on screen are just suggesting things to you and you're doing the rest in your head mm-hmm. that that's the really powerful horror stuff yeah Cause it's it's using your imagination to sort of imagine the worst yeah so it's making you do the work for them in a sense but in the worst but also best possible way. Yeah. To me, a, to me, a perfect horror story would be where you never see the monster. Because yeah. what you can't see is always scarier. Because yeah. what you make in Pinyon... Because 
when a mystery is solved, then that mystery then becomes meaningless because now you know what it means. Mm-hmm. Like when you when you explain a horror character's backstory, they instantly lose all their mystique because they're now like functioning. They're just humans who are different. Yeah, that they've lost all their mysterious oeuvre. Like. But that seems to happen in in horror films, especially of a certain age, where they just got sequel to Oblivion. Like Jason Voorhees ended up going into space, and um, then and and ended up fighting uh, Freddy Krueger from the Nightmare on Elm Street for a franchise. Yeah, that I just I could not get into any of those. I mean, generally, um, although I enjoy certain horror films, they never. They never scare me because I've mm. I've always kind of had this disconnect of I know this film's not real, therefore it it can't be scary to me. Yeah, it's this kind of thing in my head where I'm just separating. Like I can still enjoy it and recognize where the scary things are supposed to be happening, but there's still mm. a certain amount of disconnect between like that I know that this this is not real, so it can't scare me. Yeah, which. I suppose makes me a terrible, um, a terrible customer for horror films because that's kind of their bread and butter. Well, it's Hollywood's sort of bread and butter, I think. Because when when you look at things like Japanese horror, I think they go more psychological than yeah. If if you go the psychological route, it can definitely Mm. creep me out and get under my skin, Mm. but not to the like extent where I'm like. Checking behind doors and like um, <laughs> check, checking cupboards to make sure there's no murderers about, you know. Oh, see, no, there's there's certain times where I hear a specific noise, mm-hmm. and um, if you've got old boilers, I think you know exactly what yeah, I'm yeah, talking yeah. about. And I'm just like, oh no, I'm 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 about to get like eaten alive or something, aren't I? I'm just gonna find a woman just standing over my bed screaming at me and I'm just like, that's it, I'm gone. <laughs> so lucky. <laughs> I mean <laughs> the way this month scrapped, sorry, the way this year has gone, yeah, please. <laughs> like there's that that sort of meme where it's just like, Can somebody take me out um on a date or with a gun? Either either's fine. <laughs> that's this year. <laughs> the I, th- I think a lot of reactions to horror films are generational as well. Like I remember my mum telling me a story like um, I sat down and made her watch Nightmare Nightmare on Elm Street, which she watched when she was younger. And um, mm-hmm. she, she told me the story. She watched it with a friend of hers. And she, she, she made her friend go to the toilet with her afterwards mm-hmm. because she was too scared to, to, to go on her own. And then I watched it. And it's just so ridiculous that it's funny. And my my mom was like sat there behind the pillows as Jason kind of uh, not Jason Freddy cut one of his fingers off and green blood comes out. It's like this isn't scary. It's hilarious. What's going on? This was one yeah. scene in like an, an alleyway where he, his arms stretch out, and apparently that's really freaky. I was like, no, that's hilarious. Yeah, <laughs> the, the only thing that I can remember from watching that film is Johnny Depp being swallowed by a bed. Yes. Which again, I wouldn't say no. You like, definitely would say not to Johnny Depp being in your bed. Am I right? I want to argue that, but he looks like he'd be a great cuddler. He does. He does. And, and he's a decent singer, so it'd just be like, please, lullabies. Although, <laughs> having said that, 
Tom Felton. Have you watched Babysitter's Guide to Monster Hunting? No. I, I don't know what it is about Tom Felton, but like his his bad guys are they they make me feel a certain way, and I'm not angry about it. And I'm like, okay, you can you can sing me to sleep. You see, I will always look at Tom Felton and just see him as Malfoy. Right, like... that's that's what I thought. But then watching Monsters Guide to Babies, no, wait, that's the dyspraxia. Just. Switch those words around. Monsters Guide <laughs> to Babysitting. That would be amazing. That, that would be a great film. The Yeti Babysitting. Ever hear I this? Please that. do that version. <laughs> but like, I, I, he's not exactly the biggest of villains, really. I mean, what exactly is it that he's doing that is so incredibly evil and thoroughly corrupt? And it's just like, well, hmm. Because he asked the kid, like, sorry, spoilers, I guess. Um, he asked the kid where, you know, because he's trying to get a kid to fall asleep so he could have nightmares. And he asked the kid, it's just like, okay, well, what do you need to fall asleep? And I'm like, huh, a bad guy that actually asks a kid what their needs are. Hmm, all right. I mean, is that really such an evil thing? <laughs> hmm, blurring the lines here. I don't like this, but I do. And then he sing. Well, he tries to sing the kid to sleep, and it's a bit of a creepy song. But it's not like I want to say it's not nightmare inducing, but it is trying to be nightmare inducing. And I'm just like, no, you you can sing me to sleep, please. Thanks. Yeah. I think the worst kind of, of singing in horror movies is when you get like choirs of kids singing nursery rhymes. For some reason, that just that's just always creep me out. Like, I don't know. I just imagine like the twins in The Shining. Just it's like like again. Thing. Going back to Nightmare on Elm Street, there's a moment in that where there's like a the there's the skipping rope around one, two, Freddy's coming for you, and that's pro- probably the, the the creepiest moment in the film for me, where the kids are just kind of skipping rope, singing about Freddy Krueger. Yeah, I, I think the creepiest things about horror films for me personally, kids singing, mm. especially like slow and eerie, and I'm just like, okay, well, I'm about to die. Let's let's just say kids are the creepiest things. Kids in general just terrify me, but it's more the whole thing of responsibility. <laughs> it's not the kids themselves, it's just the responsibility, fear of failure. Um, I, and what's the other thing about horror films that really scares me? No, it's just kids singing. That's all I'm stuck on at the moment. I had a point too, but I don't remember it now because kids singing. No. As you mentioned, the twins from The Shining, they're like the the, the, the two prevalent kids that always spring to my mind. When I'm, yeah. And spoilers, we will be talking about The Shining later. Yeah. But, um, yeah, they're, they're a, a, a really good example of use of kids in horror films, just to kind of play their kind of innocent facades to, to be creepy. Yeah. It's, it's a really clever move. I, I think it's the thing of they're meant to be the innocent ones, like, you know, capital trademark, the innocent ones, and they're not. And it's just like, that's the terrifying thing of how can something so sweet and innocent be so, like, evil? I mean, there's pure and innocent, pure evil. And it's that contrast. It's so unsettling. I can't really think of any other. I, I suppose another good use of a kid, and it's not necessarily a horror film; it's more of a thriller. But uh, this, this, the kid in the sixth sense, mm. as well. Uh, I 
He's really creepy. Um, yeah, just Haley Joel Osment was absolutely amazing in that. Well, he was a really good child actor, but he hasn't really done much as an adult, has he? I mean, I can't say I blame him with how like Hollywood essentially turned on him. Yeah. But he was also in AI, wasn't he? With Steven Spielberg. Yeah. That that's that was one of my favourite films. It kind of still is. It's still in like my top list of films I will happily like rewatch. He also has a really like unique look. He has a really yeah. unique face that, that he's no he's never grown out of. It's always been mm. the same. Yeah. But it's in the kind of the same way that most child actors kind of don't really do much as adults. Macaulay Culkin's a good example as well. Yeah, yeah. It's a shame because really, they just kind of get chewed up and spat out, don't they? Yeah, and, and that leads to a lot of issues, and then they have to go to rehab quite you know, again understandably. With Ma- and with McCarter Culkin, that's another yeah. good example of that. Yeah, and it's just the amount of pressure that they go under, especially having to be in the spotlight, and then mm. with the press hounding them the way that they do, and it's like these are children. <laughs> It, it's one thing to respect a person's privacy anyways, but, like, these are children. Like, and like, uh, and they have zero empathy for adults, and they have zero empathy for children, and that is going to cause some form of psychological damage. And as as hard as we mentioned it is for, for mm. those two, it's even worse for female child actors. Like, like yeah. I remember reading that um, one newspaper had a a countdown to when Kira Knightley was turning 18 because, like, then she would be legal to have sex with in America. And that, they were doing the same with Billie Eilish. That that just blows my mind that adults would think of that. It's... Like, it's so disturbing. It's... Yeah. And again, to link it back to Halloween, that is in, infinitely scarier than mm. anything you will ever, ever see on screen. That An, an adult... Like an adult who's probably married, got kids, has thought, I don't know what I'll do. I'll put a countdown in our paper to to the day when a fucking child is old yeah. enough for me to have sex with them. It's, yeah. it's oh, it makes me so ang- angry. Yeah. Why? Why do you do this to to to, to kids? <laughs> Especially kids who are making a living, trying to make, trying to improve people's lives, trying to entertain people, mm. and. They seem to be doing the same stuff to Millie Bobby Brown as well, because I've seen kind of (laughs) similar things with her. The the things that I've read about her her work in um, Enola Holmes, Mm. uh, the people are just like, oh, well, she's supposed to be 16, but she looks like a a young woman. And then it goes on to describe how she looks like a young woman. And I'm just like, you just admitted that she is a literal child. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're talking about her in such a sexualized manner. Um, stop. Seek yeah. A therapist, please. It's really unnerving. It's it's really frightening that this goes, and especially like in in the light of what happened with you know Weinstein and Epstein. Like mm. it hasn't stopped. Like no. even though. Like Me Too has happened, and yeah. um, and all, all that kind of, and, and times up, and things like that. It's it's still going on, and nobody seems to really notice because it's such a, a a regular occurrence that we've just kind of written it off as something that's normal. It's not that people aren't noticing; it's that people aren't listening, and it's the thing of you can try and you know say, hey, this is happening. 
something needs to be done about it, the people that have some form of power to stop it choose not to. And there's a variety of reasons. Some are just baffling. And it's just... It's exhausting, isn't it? It's, yeah. It's it's just... It's terrifying. It's exhausting. Mm-hmm. Because it, it happens... It doesn't seem to ever slow down to mm-hmm. any aspect. Like, we, we can go back to... The kids, the child act to the eighties. It happened to them yeah. to the nineties to up to right now because there was something about Willow Smith um, as well a few months ago. I can't remember the exact details, but someone had like overly sexualized hair, and like Will Smith got yeah. involved in Jaden and things like that. And and then there's many Bobby Brown and Billie Eilish as you mentioned, who who specifically has said in the past that she wears the clothes she wears to stop herself being sexualized. Mm. And the fact that she has to do that is is really upsetting. Yeah, and it's a damning indictment of the world that we currently live in. That that so someone who is who has been fifteen, sixteen has to think that they have to wear baggy clothes, otherwise people will just basically see them as sex objects that sing. And and they still do that anyways because the amount of like nonsense that I've I'd say nonsense lightly um, the amount of stuff that I've read where they're still sexualizing her with the baggy clothes which is like oh just imagine the body underneath I'm like that yeah. is a child's body stop seek yeah. therapy get off the internet just don't walk away <laughs> just mm. <sighs> the, the world's a mess isn't it <laughs> yeah and those are the real horror stories of our society well, I, I was we going use... to link it in nicely to the yeah. first film that I was going to talk about because um, I just recently watched it and um, reviewed it and the leading actress was kind of a child actress. I think she was about 16, 17 at the time. Mm. said Jamie Lee Curtis in Halloween, the original, the mm. 1978 one. See, I thought you would have like linked in with The Exorcist because that does depict... Um... That... Yeah, I've, I've forgotten about uh, The Exorcist. I... Yeah, I wish I could. <laughs> that still haunts my nightmares. Well, um, <laughs> well the reason I've forgotten about it is because I've never actually watched it before. <sighs> so. But that's my own personal, like, there's there's certain things that I, I just can't think to do with children being sexualized in any way, shape or form. Mm. Um, I ended up walking out of um, The Hills of Eyes mm. within, like, a couple of minutes because there's a scene where... Um, an actor has got like a fake knife to a baby's face and the baby is screaming its head off their head off. I, I think we should respect a human being no matter what age. Come Speaking to self, by the way. Um, <laughs> so the baby is screaming their head off because, you know, it's, it's in a stressful situation. There's a guy holding them, being aggressive with an object to its face. And I'm just like, okay, well, I, I, I can barely, barely, and I, barely like stomach any form of rape scene and i'm just like okay well that's that's heavy that's too much i am close to vomiting okay the baby is is clearly traumatized right now i'm sorry friend i have to go i can't deal with this and i left and then a couple of minutes later my friend walked out and was just like should have walked out when you did I'm like oh my god it got worse like yeah <laughs> um and, and it says something that my friend walked out because he's not the kind of 
guy that does easily walk out on films. Mm. Like, he can usually stomach a lot of things. Like, you know, the, the stereotypical, you know, I are man, rah, mm. kind of mentality thing. And I'm just like, you walked out that serious. I don't feel so weak. Thank you. I think, as I've mentioned before, I, I, I can kind of accept almost anything happening in a film as long as it's appropriate to the context of what's going on. Mm-hmm. So, like, if there's, say, like, a rape scene, to put it um, like that, um, I don't usually like talking about these things in any way, but, oh. if, but if, 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 if there is, like, something like that, I, I want it to... to mean something in the context of the film and not just be there for the sake of a shock. Yeah, like, like is there a plot point to this yeah. this drive the character for forward in like is there any form of character development, plot development that kind of comes from it? It's just I mean for me personally I'm just like most of the time it's 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 a no. But I I'm just I'm struggling to think of an occasion where it is logical i'm like mm-hmm. but i have my own personal feelings on that yeah but like with with this because the baby was clearly traumatized i was just like no i can't it's i the hills don't of have eyes, the psychological um, willpower for this is the hills of eyes the one about the the inbred family that live in the yeah. the hills yeah. Yeah. yeah i thought so because that was another was it a western one back in the 70s yeah. and 80s remade in the 2000s yeah yeah, because yeah, um, Lee the Raven in it, and I'm, I'm just, yeah. But um, we're here to discuss our personal favorite horror films as well. Yeah. Which, um, I mentioned one a minute ago, and that's one I've only recently just watched. It's Halloween. It's mm. pretty much the uh, the basis for the whole slasher genre. It's started off a lot of the common tropes, but also. Because it's the first one, it was the one that had kind of carte blanche to kind of set the bar quite high. It has an incredibly tense atmosphere about it, and the 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 execution of the the character, the main character, Michael Myers, is almost perfect. I'd say that we see him a bit too much towards the end, but in the earlier shots, when you're just kind of seeing him from a distance, and he's just kind of an, an out a figure with a blank face. That's that's really effective, but it's when you're seeing him kind of close up that he loses a bit of his mystique. Yeah, I, I think as a film, it's a it's a great example of the genre mm. from a a director who's obviously quite well versed because it was a John Carpenter film, and he's obviously done The Thing and The Fog and God knows what else. So he's obviously very well well versed in building atmosphere, mm. which is a which is something that I think is very key to a horror film is a yeah an atmosphere almost an oppressive atmosphere if you've got a a real feeling of dread around your film then you're on to a winner i think yeah yeah so what's the first one you wanted to talk about then um well i misunderstood the um this week's assignment (laughs) i just put down halloween instead of horror and i just (laughs) had the question of what makes a Halloween film a Halloween film, anyways? But I do have horror films on here. Yeah, that's that, that's fine. We can deal with that. Yeah, and I'm I'm still kind of struggling to decide which one is like my all-time favorite because like 
what do you expect from somebody that's on the A spectrum with the gender that's just like, nope. Um, I can't make up my mind. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, I, I think with my my top three, two of them are Japanese. <laughs> and one of them, <laughs> the third one's a franchise. The, the 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 only way you could be more predictable is if it was a Korean film. Um, I was struggling to think of a Korean horror film that I'm like, oh my god, I'm in love with this. I mean, unless we can class Parasite as a horror film. Well, uh, I was really. just about to say, um, there were yeah. aspects of horror in a lot of Bong Joon-ho's films. I was yeah. going to see Memories of Murder last night. Um, mm. for the re-release and that's kind of got elements of a horror film uh, about it yeah. too as is Mother, Mother's got a, got, got a bit of that tinge about it as well yeah. So, but I think the the Japanese are the, the ones that have kind of got the got the franchise on horror haven't they, the creepy yeah. Asian horror thing yeah and, and with theirs it's more psychology and mythology mm. which is just amazing um, so for for my top three horror films, um, yeah, it's The Ring, The Grudge, and Saw. Mm. <laughs> and The Ring and The Grudge are the original Japanese ones, I imagine. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. I, the American remakes are just an attempt was made, I guess. They, they did what most American remakes tend to do, and that's try to go for too broad a palette to, to yeah. a, appeal to too many people when it really is an, a niche Just too many thing. shock horrors. Yeah. Just, not shock horrors. Um, shock value. Mm. I've never been able to stomach Saw, to be fair. That's, 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 that's one of the things that um, does really tear me off to some horror films. Yeah. It's kind of unnecessary levels of kind of violence and body horror. That's yeah, I think the saw is a great I think that's one of the things that kind of brought forward the terminology torture porn. Mm. <clears throat> and I'm just like, okay, first of all, carryals. Secondly, the psychology behind it. Thirdly, the puzzles. Because they're it's not an outright, oh I'm just gonna get random people and just kill them. Mm. It's just like, okay, well these people have been in situations that they shouldn't have been in. And, like, they kind of need to redeem themselves. So I'm going to put them into situations where they can get out of it if they just listened. <laughs> there are lessons to be learned from this. I mean, Let's play a game. And it's just like, no. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty no. sure that the person then, who, the, the, the screenwriter of Saw, who hmm. came up with the ideas of the puzzles, needs to see a therapist oh, ASAP. Oh, oh, yeah, because, <laughs> yeah, like, it's, it's some major complex where you're just like you're playing god this isn't for you to do <laughs> like mm-hmm. but um it, it's they're the kind of films where you can watch it and then re-watch it and be like oh wait if they actually just stopped what they did there and they did x y and z instead of a b and c then that person could have lived oh if you listen to the puzzle um the riddle again you know, you'd have been able to do blah blah blah. And there's a hint there, and then there's the the backstory of I want to say Gideon. What is his name? How many times have I watched these films and I cannot remember the character names? 
is the Saw franchise a lot like a lot of other horror vehicles where the kind of sequels with diminishing returns? Mm. Do you think? Um, Because some of the sequels, it is quite heavy on the backstory, and you're just like, oh, so that's why he did it. And I'm just like, is Gideon his name or his son's name? And this is also a thing of like my recall issues are just getting worse. <laughs> this is why I need to have notes on everything. But again, that that it, that, could, that I could really take away from how effective the Jigsaw Killer is. The the, the more that you know about him, the more he seems kind of rational. Yeah, um, and that that in and of itself is a bit of a problem because you you end up empathising with the villain, and you're just like, this should not be happening. What? And I think that kind of sets a a, a different angle on how terrifying things are because it's that thing of, oh wait. The real monsters are the people that smile at you. And it's that thing of, like... Because there's there's that thing of, like, the the villains are always, like, absolute monsters, but in reality... Like, when you look at um, serial killers, like Mm. Ted Bundy, he was a charmer. Mm. He he went off his his looks, where he's just like, oh, I'm good-looking, I'm innocent, let me lure you to my den kind of thing but that's a that's and a characteristic that, of psychopaths is yeah um, is a charming pers- personality because because it would be really easy to spot a psychopath if they went yeah basically so yeah. it's a defense mechanism mm. and and with the the saw franchise like the guy's just at you know first glance he's just an an average guy that's just you know, he's lost his kid, he's lost his wife, and he's dying of um, a brain tumour. Mm. And it's just that thing of, oh, well, he may appear normal, but he's actually just incredibly twisted and maybe just beyond the help of a therapist. But uh, I've said in the past that um, mm-hmm. a, a really good villain is someone that you should should that you could justify if it weren't for yeah. the way they went about things, whereas I think that's the exact opposite for a horror villain. Like, mm. you want a horror villain to be as monstrous as possible and as as kind of irrational. and Because because people who are irrational and behave erratically make for yeah. more frightening characters. See, whereas I think the, the frightening characters are the characters that I... I kind of recognise, you know, like with the Harry Potter series, mm. Dolores Umbridge versus Voldemort. Oh God, yeah. Everybody knows a Dolores, and that's terrifying because they're real. Yeah. And it's just the thing of in in Saw, he's real. <laughs> You've met that person. I suppose and that's it, terrifying. It it can go both ways depending on how you're looking yeah. to f- submit your film function. Because mm-hmm. I, I think it works if, if the villain is just a, a complete monster, if it's like a slasher film. Yeah. Because it's not supposed to be a character, it's just uh, someone that kills people. It's it's um, it's just like a good old-fashioned sort of story time bad guy, you know, like with Snow White and storytelling, isn't it? He's basically the boogeyman, isn't he? That's... Yeah, yes. Yeah. 
Whereas when you're thinking of more psychological horror, that's that's when you're thinking of the more kind of down to earth characters that you can recognise and they're yeah. therefore scary. Mm. Mm. I think that's kind of why with with my top three, the three bad guys, the three villains essentially are real life people that have just gotten so twisted they're not really that human anymore. I don't consider for the sake of argument I'm calling him Gideon because I can't remember his name. He's I don't think he's human anymore. Whereas the all all, all the kind of characters on my list are kind of more towards the outlandish spectrum. Like I really like Halloween. Uh, another mm-hmm. one I'm going to talk about later is It, the most recent version with Pennywise. How did I forget It? It trolled. Oh, oh. And um, also another one I'll be talking about later is Don't Look Now, who's um, final. Um, who it's revealed in the end that they're kind of the one that's been following them the whole time is uh, like a a really old little person in a child's coat. <laughs> <laughs> Which sounds ridiculous, but it's it it works strangely enough <laughs> in the context of the film. Yeah, no, I don't know why. It's just... And uh, what's it called? Often. Yeah, since we're thinking of um broader Halloween films as well, I'm going to throw in um Rocky Horror Picture Show and that's on my list. And Nightmare Before Christmas as well. So we'll be talking about them before the before the episode's out. <laughs> so you've got Rocky Horror on your list as well. Yeah, that's on my like. I've got my top four, and then I've got my secondary list where it's like, mm-hmm. is it a Halloween film? Like, what actually constitutes oh. a Halloween film? Because like with Christmas films, it's films that are set around Christmas time. Because there's that great debate of is Die Hard like an actual christmas film or is it just it a is. film that's set around christmas it absolutely is a christmas film because I, I i still haven't watched die hard i just i the, need to i need to but i haven't my, my definition of a christmas film is a, a film in which christmas is an element of the plot or is some element of a subplot or something, something like that and like it, it has involvement in in the yeah story. whereas right. not as as opposed to like a, a story that just takes place around Christmas, because mm. um, in Die Hard, the basically the the lead story going in is that John McClane has has a big present that he wants to take to his daughter for Christmas, but he gets caught up at Nakatomi Plaza. But there's also the thing of like, can that be exchanged for um, if it was her birthday? Would it could story... be, but it's also more effective like... that it is Christmas as well. Yeah. Yeah, but I like I said, I haven't actually watched that film yet, and I need to, so I don't have any opinion on it. <laughs> well, to, to me, I think a Halloween film is kind of it's more fluid. As I've always said, if if you want a film to be a Halloween film or you want a, f- a film to be a Christmas film, then it's a Christmas film, then it's a Halloween film. Okay. It, re- it really doesn't matter. Because <laughs> I, I rewatched The Addams Family, and I, I've I, I was horrified to discover one thing. The film that I thought was the original film, the first film even, mm-hmm. not not the original, but the first film, is actually the sequel. And I'm like, oh, the sequel's actually better than the first film. The first film starts off around Christmas. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's not central to the plot at all. It's just, you hear people singing a Christmas carol. It's just there to 
set the scene of, oh, this is around this time of year. Mm. It's a time marker. And yeah, like, can Adam's Family be considered a Halloween film because it's the Adam's Family? But I think it was a. But it's. You can watch it all year round. There is the precedent of Nightmare Before Christmas, which I think is both a Halloween film and a it, Christmas film. It is. It's, because it's because both, both holidays have an influence in it. It's a crossover film. Yeah. It suits both. And like, I love that. <laughs> if you were to take the Halloween elements out of it, it wouldn't work. And if you were to take the Christmas elements out of it, it wouldn't work. So right. therefore, it has to be both. It has to. It, it's one of those where it, it's a crossover film. Yeah, it is simultaneously Halloween and Christmas because it's a Halloween king going over to a Christmas being like this territory is mine now please and thank you <laughs> did I say please? <laughs> did I say thank you? no it's mine <laughs> I also, uh, also um, reviewed Nightmare Before Christmas the other week on my website because it's, um, it's actually one of my favourite Christmas films now, and it's also one that I like to watch for Halloween as well. I think it's probably like the last, like a really good modern example of how stop motion can work alongside yeah. modern animation. Yeah. And also, I, I don't know how many times I have to say this, but I guess at least it's one, one more. It's mm. not a Tim Burton film. It's it's not. I don't know why it's called Tim Burton's Nightmare Before Christmas. He literally he just wrote the story. It wasn't the director. He's, it's not he's his just film. He's the writer, isn't he? Yeah. Because yeah. usually films go by who's directing it. Yeah. And like that's like calling Poltergeist Steven Spielberg's Poltergeist. It's, it's not. It's not a Tim Burton film. It's a Henry Selleck film. Mm. But um, then there's also the fact of the, the music in it, which is great. Yeah, um, that's um, oh my Danny God. Elfman. Yeah, I was like, it's either Zimmerman or Elfman. I'm like, is it Zimmerman or Zimmer? Zimmer. Zimmer. Yeah. Mm. Uh, Danny Elfman's also the singing voice of yeah. Jack Skellington as well. So this but, um, is to me, I probably like read that forever ago, but this is like new news to me. <laughs> Honestly, I can also got that, uh, first introductions all over again. I'm just like, oh, new information. Oh, this is in my notes from three years ago. Well, it's news to me now. <clears throat> it's also um, contains one of my favorite villain songs of all time, and that's um, Oogie Boogie's song, which, yeah. which is fantastic. And uh, the the fact is, not many people seem to realize that it's a Disney film too. Yeah. So, so technically, that's a Disney villain song. Mm. it's one of the best it's not quite as good as Hellfire which is still the best Disney villain song and I will fight anyone who says otherwise but um I'm not fighting on this one (laughs) (laughs) usually I'm just like ow like not fighting on this one it's Hellfire then be prepared Hellfire be prepared poor unfortunate souls they're the top three yes I mean that's oh wait is is because that's basically Scar, Ursula, and... Frollo. It... Yeah, yeah. <sighs> yeah. I, I think Ursula's, like, one of my best, like, non-villain villains. Like, I don't care what people say. Ursula was right. She had a point. <laughs> she's not a villain. She may be technically the bad guy, technically, but she's she's not a villain. 
but that's another story. That that was our story for last month. <laughs> yeah. We did the I, Renaissance I, last month. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I kind of went on, on one with Ursula then, didn't I? I just... <laughs> But even then, I love her. Okay, I will declare my love for Ursula. Right, that's just. Then again, you could link these villains in, into Halloween as well, especially for Frollo, because he's like a really devious, he's chilling villain. Another one of those villains that you've you've met the guy. Yeah, <laughs> I think I said that last month as well. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. So we have Nightmare Before Christmas, and yeah. so let's talk about the Rocky Horror Picture Show then. Let's, let's talk about but that. Is it technically Halloween, or is it just... Because it's not really a horror. I mean, it's If you want it to be a Halloween film, then it's but, a Halloween film. I mean, it's it's great all year round, but it is it most is. around Halloween because of the, the dress-up element, I feel, and because it's a bit sci-fi, fantasy-esque, and you know, aliens trying to take over the world. Well, most, most Halloween... <laughs> most Halloween films, like, are different to Christmas films and they can be enjoyed all year round because horror films generally don't have a timestamp, even if they are based around Halloween. Mm-hmm. But but they are better to be enjoyed at Halloween. And yeah. I, I think this is one of those films that you can better enjoy around Halloween. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just... Did I mention Tim Curry? Just... Oh. <sighs> <laughs> uh, I've, I've yet to the- meet... I've yet to meet a single person who doesn't like Tim Curry. It's, I mean, it's... how can you not, though? Because, I mean, Tim Curry is, like, is... Oh. I mean, he's he was... Um, Frank Confetta, he actually played Pennywise. Although, um, controversial opinion on that, I think the newer Pennywise is better. I haven't brought myself around to watching that yet. I I got into a very very bad depressive state earlier on in the year, and I'm just like, like it traumatized me. One of the reasons why I am absolutely terrified of clowns is because of Pennywise. Tim Burton did a number on me. Like, oh oh, Tim Burton, not Tim Burton, Tim Curry. Tim Curry, <laughs> that'd be apologies, a very different film. Apologies, but it was just like. Tim Burton terrified me of clowns. Tim Burton, men in corsets and fishnets. Tim Curry. And high heels. Did I say it again? You did. You said Tim <sighs> Burton again. <laughs> just the, the thought of <sighs> Tim Burton in fishnets and heels is. Just... I mean, that's, that's a picture. That's a picture in itself. But, like. Mm, I just. Those heels, the fishnets, the corsets. I just. It's become such an icon of Halloween now as a, as well because they they have the still have the midnight screenings. People dress up to go see yeah. it, and one 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 thing that I will say is, um, if if you ever get the chance, go and see the stage show because it is the most fun you will ever have. It's an incredibly good night out. Um, I went to go see it last last time. It it was near me. I went to go see it twice in the same week. I'd originally booked to go see it early in the week, and I had so much fun that I went back later later in the week again because yeah. I wanted to see it again. It's so that, good. I wanted to see um, the run where it had um, basically Duncan from Blue in it because that's the one that I saw. he was really good, really really he good. Was my he was my favourite in blue, so I was just like, mm, Duncan, in lingerie, yes. It also has um, my favourite 
all time. It was a um, Riff Raff for about 10 years. He's played it for like 1,500 performances. He's, mm. he's played it for longer than Richard O'Brien did. And oh, um, wow. my opinion, he's, pro- he's probably better than Richard O'Brien as well, even though Richard O'Brien wrote it. He's how he's the one. That's your opinion. How dare you? Because <laughs> yeah. I, I wanted to also see where um, Ridian was playing Rocky. I don't know if you you remember or know who Ridian is. Yes, from the X Factor. I remember. Yeah, because he was the operatic guy. Yeah. And I was just like, yeah. I just the amount of. I remember the fir- the first time I went to go see Rocky Horror. Um, the theatre that I went to in Hull has got like a little bar on the back called the Old English Gentleman. Where after the after the show, you tend to go in there for kind of a pant and a and a kind of especially if you've been on stage performing, which I've done there a few times. You always go to the Old English Gentleman for a drink afterwards. And then um, as I, I was passing, there was obviously I was going to see Rocky Horror. So people were dressed, and there was a guy in like his seventies dressed as Rocky. And he, oh he was my like goodness! Really old and like really, and he wasn't like an old guy who was in good shape. He was just like like an old guy in just like a, a gold lame shorts and nothing else. Living his best life. Exactly. When you're I, I, I want to be like <laughs> you can't be hung up on like body image or anything like that. Just. <laughs> I mean, live your life, you know. Be I was going to go as Frankenfair, I, I was going to go as Frankenfair, but I couldn't find a corset big enough or heels big enough for me. <laughs> Otherwise, I would have totally gone as yeah, That was we knew each other around that time, didn't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, I, I could have had a corset for you. <laughs> I don't know about heels because, like, I'm only about. I think sizes A. I'm still Europe. I'm a size 41. What does that convert as? Auntie Google, tell me. I'm a size 15 in the UK, which is about a size 50 in the EU, I think. I think. I feel like such a hobbit. <laughs> I'm only but a small bean. The um, I, I think the, be- the best thing Rocky Horror gave to Halloween is the time warp, though, right? Yeah, that, that's that's a and of course point, parties yeah. of any age and time or occasion. Of course. I mean, well, <laughs> you always I have to I've follow the time warps where people have done time warps. Hmm? Sorry, oh, I definitely want the time warp at my funeral. They mentioned yeah, <laughs> yes, my mine. I I I've got like a a will and testament drafted up, and I've put it as a demand. People are not allowed to wear black at my funeral. If they do, they have to forfeit and wear like a sparkly, colourful rainbow wig. And it's like, yeah, time. My, time my two musical complete. demands are now. Um, well, I've got um, always look on the bright side of life. That's 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 hey. that's got to be one. The time warp's going to be the one like in the middle of the service where everyone's got to stand up and do it. Um, <laughs> Go to the actual service, yeah. And then um, going out, I might have going underground by the jam because I'm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is so like. Inappropriately appropriate, though. <laughs> I'm not even the fan of the jam. I, that's just the song I want. <laughs> I just want them to be walking out and going underground, going underground, playing in the background. Oh my goodness! Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. I also want someone oh, to. Um, I, I also want to hide like a a tape recording of my voice inside the casket. 
See what what one of the things I've had like debating about, and it's an option where it's like somebody has to be in the back, Mm. like dressed as a reaper. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god, I really miss my therapist right now. (laughs) (laughs) And or somebody has to just like run into the place, like dressed as the doctor. With a sonic screwdriver and just make some sort of a scene where it's just like, oh no, I'm too late, and just mourn for me. <laughs> I mean, in, a, the in, death, an, I- in an ideal world, like if if my funeral could have an extravagant show budget, then yeah. I would like conceive some way. Well, well, like they could use my body as a grotesque puppet and make it dance or something. No, just get a hologram. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness! I just want, I want people to laugh at my funeral. That's just yeah. what I want. Yeah, same. Life's miserable enough as it is. <laughs> How did we get onto this topic, Angel? How do we get onto these things? I don't know, but I really miss my therapist right now. I need to give her a call in the morning. Like, hi. <laughs> I need your services again. <clears throat> and my voice is doing that thing I was telling you about. <laughs> Help me, the voices have started again. I meant my voice, not the internal voices, because, like, <laughs> I've given up trying to control them. <laughs> <clears throat> Anyways. Um... Horror. Fuck you. <laughs> we mentioned. Yeah. Um. I, I think it's it's like tradition that the time <laughs> should always be followed by sweet transvestite. <clears throat> you alright there? Um, I just got a little too excited about the idea of people doing time warp at a funeral hall. I've j- just got this like hilarious vision of like someone like in like waves of tears doing the time warp. <laughs> it's making me laugh. And then just like the doctor just bursting through the doors going, This isn't fair. Wait, I'm too late. No. It's like, uh, just as the thought of a really sad <laughs> mourner doing it's just the jump to the left. Makes... <laughs> that makes me laugh. I'm such a terrible person. Um, Somebody dresses the Reaper in the corner, just like shuffling along with it. <laughs> just bobbing um, along to it. Yeah. I also want them to, like, um, have a. You know, when you toss the bouquet at a wedding, I want to do that on my. Re- oh. <laughs> because whoever catches it, it's their turn next. <laughs> Shall join me. I'm such a terrible person. It's just like a note on the bouquet saying, I saved you a seat. <laughs> <clears throat> Why does death make me laugh so trauma. much? Like, I would actually be that asshole where it's just like, I saved you a seat, and then just like drawing to flames on the bottom. <laughs> We're such terrible people. You are too. Um, anyways. Uh. <laughs> so, um, yeah, Rocky Horror, Halloween yeah. classic. Just I'm definitely going to I'm iPhone. definitely going to rewatch it this this week before Halloween. Yeah. And then, but another thing that you get in the stage show, which you can't get with the film, is the heckles. Have Have you ever had the heckles for the stage show? I mean, um. <sighs> 
which version? <laughs> uh, well, they're they're kind of universal ones, like yeah. When, when Brad's name's mentioned, it's arsehole, and when um, Janet, it's sluts and things like that. And and um, two two of my favourites is um, during one of the narrator's fair speeches, he mm. comes up to a line which is heavy, heavy black and pendulous, and before that, you shout out, "Describe your balls." Heavy black and pendulous. Oh my! She's really funny. And then the my, the second these are both ones that I've done at the show, and like they they always kill. And the, the other one is um, when Riff Raff opens the door, he's got like a really creepy hello, and you just shout out, "What's your favorite Lionel Richie song?" <laughs> hello. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh my god! I really need to get me to a live show. The, the, I keep missing also, out. Um, other good ones include um, after Janet's line, "I don't like men with too many muscles." You shout out just one big one. <laughs> just one big one. Oh my god, that took a while. Oof, that that. <laughs> I mean, it's it's like one of the the only times <laughs> when you're in like a theatre setting when shouting things at the stage is appropriate. In fact, not only appropriate but encouraged. I, oh. mm. I I wouldn't imagine shouting out describe your balls in the middle of Les Mis would um would, would get such a great reaction. No, it would not. <laughs> like I I went to I went to see Les Mis in January and my gods I cried. I've seen it twice. Oh. It's great, isn't it's it? Carrie Hope Fletcher is just a goddess. Oh, and then, did oh, you but... see the, the staged concert version? Uh, it was Carol uh, playing it at the new theatre. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I I saw it um in in the production Somehow. in London. Yeah. Um, oh God, I can't remember what the theatre. <laughs> well, it, it's the Sundown Theatre now. If you'd have seen yeah. it in January, it'd have just reopened because it was getting refurbished. Yeah, because yeah, they had the um, new um new not props. Yeah, the had, new set because yeah because it's it's basically like, a, a new version of the show. Oh, the gunshots. Oh, the kid. Oh, the little pup. Oh. Because they don't have the barricade. In, well, no, they do have the barricade, but it used to be a rotating rotating stage in the old version, which I saw twice. It was a rotating stage, and the barricade would come on from the wings, whereas I don't think that happens in the new one, because it's a new it, production. It moves across the stage. Yeah. Yeah. But from, like, kind of like a, a door, I guess. Um, and it's just... Oh, that that the lighting was just exquisite. Do you get um? Did you get goosebumps during one day more? Because I every every time I hear that, yeah, hairs on the back of my arm stand up. Oh, my voice! Get it together! It's like yeah, yeah. Just I cried so much. That's one thing I miss so much is going down to London to watch a musical. Um. I actually went a few weeks before the lockdown. I went down to go yeah. see Come From Away on the West End, and um, that was that was great. But not on topic. We're getting we're going off on tangents, which seems to be our That's <laughs> seems how to be our it. trademark. We yeah. we spend like ten minutes talking about the subject that we actually want to, and an hour talking about other things. Right. Shall we try a different format? <laughs> <laughs> shall I just go through the list that I have? <laughs> What is that? Let's just oh. have a stream of consciousness. Yeah. 
Yeah. So and what else I'm do you have written down? About my voice, because um, as, as some listeners may know, I've I've officially been on testosterone for a year this month, and oh, it's been oh. increased. Yay! And as it's been increased, my voice is doing the weirdest thing. <laughs> it's going squeaky. So <laughs> and then at the beginning of the call, she's like, okay, it's a bit lower than usual. I'm not used to this. And now it's just like, yeah, we're going back to the squeaky, annoying phase. Dang it. So the, the, about this, this next, time next year when you tune in, it'll be two really deep, vo- deep manly voices you'll be hearing. Hello, I'm Nathan. Hello, I'm Angel. Welcome to the mission. <laughs> just two <laughs> bassy voices. Yeah, just... Oh, wishful thinking. That'd be nice. <laughs> I think it's more wishful thinking on my part than yours, to be fair. <laughs> Excuse me, which one of us passes as an actual guy? Well, you haven't seen me on a Saturday night yet. <laughs> that is actually a point. But still. So what What? what else yeah. is included on your list then, Angel? Okay, so on my actual... Shall we go with my top four, or just like the secondary list, where it's just like, are they technically Halloween films? But like, yeah, whatever, whatever you want to talk about. So I'm going to go with the second list. Mm-hmm. So on there, there's The Ring, The Grudge, Saw, It, Orphan, Carrie, mm. Rocky Horror Picture Show, Edward Scissorhands, Ghostbusters. Oh yeah, The Craft. Forgotten about Ghostbusters. <clears throat> Good call. But The Craft that's getting a remake. And this, this, this is just like J rap. Um, I've not heard of the craft. Well, what is that? It's t- witches. Witches. But it's just it's teenage girls that are into witchcraft, and they kind of they're they're not the nicest of people. There's one line where um a guy, I think one of the dads, where it's just like oh. Be careful, kids. There's weirdos out in the neighborhood, something like that. And um, I think it's Nancy that turns around and says, We are the weirdos, mister. Mm. And I'm like, Yeah. Because, like, my goth young self was just like, That, me. Like, nah, <laughs> not really. Um, but that's getting a remake. And it kind of looks a bit like anime girl, like magic girl kind of sparkly twinkly magic mm-hmm. and I'm like I'm hoping this is just like the advert and they kind of done a bit of a sonic where it's a bit like mm, this is a bit too twilight sparkly YA kind of witchcraft teen well, where the original one is just like goth bad girls like we are the weirdos mister and like edgy kind of thing and it's just it's a cult classic as we all know, there are only three sentences in life. Death, taxes, and anime ruins everything. Anime does not ruin everything. You take that back. <laughs> I have got an anime on my side. <laughs> <laughs> I, Jesus, I an anime on my side. Uh, um, don't go which, quoting vines. We'll end up on another tangent. Right. So, back to the list. Um, practical magic. Nicole Kidman and Sandra Bullock mm-hmm. as witchy sisters burying an ex that was abusive. I'm like, yes. Go. Sounds good to me. Um, witches. Roald Dahl. The new one's out now, isn't it? Is that on Netflix? Yeah. I haven't watched it I yet. I think it is. It's, it's Anne, Anne Hathaway. Yeah. Yeah. 
And there's a couple of other people that I'm just like, oh my god, I want to see it, and I can't remember who it is because Dead Image. Was Angelica Houston was in the original, wasn't she? <sighs> Listen, Angelica Houston, just yes, because like you know, original witches, Adam's family, like. <sighs> oh yeah, she was Morticia as well, wasn't she? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, just <sighs> Morticia and Gomez, like. I want that kind of love, please. Thank you, universe. Let me find my Adams, please. I beg. I didn't. I, I didn't realize that, that the guy that to me. <laughs> I did. I didn't realize that the guy that played Gomez was the bad guy from the Street Fighter film as well. That he is. He is. Yeah. Huh. I know. Weird, right? I... Huh. As I find it out that um, Alan Rickman was in Die Hard and, and Robin Hood. I'm like, yeah, he was the sheriff of Nottingham in Robin Hood. Yeah. I'm like, that was Rickman, really? I haven't, I haven't rewatched that. That's in a while. such a hammy film. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Kevin, Kevin Costner's accent. Oh my god, who told him he could do a British accent? Okay, but the superior Robin Hood is. I've already mentioned him. Carrie many tights. Many yeah. tights. Because at least they addressed the campiness. And the whole thing of like, leave us alone, Mel Brooks. Like every time I hear somebody say Mel Brooks, that line swiftly follows. <sighs> so such a ma- such a master of sat- satiring yeah. film. Yeah. Um, like I really like Spaceballs as well, but that's getting off uh, on a different tangent. Yeah. I have two more on my list. Right. Sleepy Hollow and Dracula. Is that the Francis Ford Coppola Dracula? The, the one with Winona Ryder. And uh, Gary Oldman playing Dr- yeah. Dracula. Yeah, and I've noticed the theme with the actors in my favourite films. It's basically Christina Ritchie, Winona Ryder, Johnny Depp and Tim Curry. <laughs> and uh, Keanu Reeves doing a terrible accent. As he did Dracula. An attempt was made. Listen, he tried. <laughs> That's the, that's you the have thing to have Keanu. a flaw, okay? People cannot be completely and utterly perfect. That is Keanu Reeves' flaw. Well, that's the thing about Keanu Reeves is he's so great, but he can't act, but he's still so good. He <laughs> it's, can't act. It's not like, fair. Bill and Ted, okay? <laughs> that's, yeah, that's just him being himself. <laughs> that's my argument, Bill and Ted. Keanu Reeves can act, Bill and Ted. Oh my god! That's that's just like saying the Rock can act. <laughs> He's basically been playing himself yeah, for the best part of twenty years. Me like this. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying it because I don't like Keanu Reeves. I love Keanu Reeves. Mum was watching Rampage um, last night. Was it last night or the night before? I don't know what is time. Um, and I just construct. kind of, I was just like, oh. Dwayne Johnson, which which film is this one? The one where he <laughs> fights a giant monkey. Because I thought it was like one of the Fast and Furious films. <laughs> I was watching the new Spitting Image <laughs> the other day. Oh, uh, but it's like, oh, there's a gorilla. Nope, not the film I thought it was. This isn't Fast and Furious, Mum. What is this? Oh, it's Rampage or King Kong or something. Oh, yeah, Rampage. Oh, my God. I was watching the new spitting image on um, on 
on my TV the other day. And then <laughs> the the rock appears in that and his kind of thing is he has like a miniature Kevin Hart in his pocket. Oh. Which is, which is quite funny. It's the little Kevin Hart puppet in his pocket. Oh, that's adorable. Uh, it was... <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I don't know how many times I have to take the piss out of The Rock, to be fair. Um, to, to, to be fair, he's a really charismatic guy. He, he seems is. like a really cool, cool guy. It's just I just wish he would play someone other than himself once in a while. Say so I was gonna be like, okay, but what about the mummy? What about like Star Trek? I'm like, but he was essentially playing himself. because well, I'm I'm of, of the opinion that there is there is something there that that he, he can he can do more. Yeah. He's just, yeah. just doesn't he either doesn't want to or hasn't been given the opportunity to yet. Yeah, I think he's just well and truly typecast because he he does have the opportunity to like his com- comedic timing is brilliant. So one of my favourite films of his is um, Game Plan. Mm. It's a Disney film of all things as well. Yeah, I've I've seen and, it. Yeah, so it's like his timing in that. I I love it. He's just really funny, and you know he sings, plays guitar. He was also. I, um, he was also really funny in uh, Jumanji: The Next Level, where he's pretending to be Danny DeVito. So he he does have some range. He just needs to choose or be given roles that allows him to explore his acting. Well, I think looking at it, look, looking at it from what I know, but obviously because he's at a stage in his career where he's producing the vast majority of the films he's in, so that tells me that he's the one who's who's making the choices to do these roles. Like, he's not being approached for them. He's the one that's creating, that's saying, like, I want to do this. Can you make that happen? And But it's the thing of, is he sticking with what he's comfortable at and what he thinks his audience wants from him? Is he challenging himself? Probably not, but he probably also doesn't feel like he has to. Mm. Because he is, like, the highest-paid Hollywood actor in the world. So obviously, some something's working. So why would he? Yeah. Why would he change it? Why fix what ain't broken? Exactly. But it, it will come to a point where that will stop working. Yeah, unfortunately. And especially since he's fast approaching fifty, and even though he's in incredible shape, Father Time is un- undefeated. <sighs> unfortunately, so. Anyway, nothing, nothing, nothing scarier than the inevitability of of decay, (laughs) the inevitability of entropy, (laughs) also known as my memory. (laughs) I know I keep mentioning that, but it's 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 getting to me. (laughs) Yeah. So So, you 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 brought a kind of wide variety of stuff to the table, and we're like you talked about. (laughs) <laughs> you talked about um, it, which obviously yeah. you you were talking about the early nineties TV version, mm. and um, my the the it I wanted to talk about is the twenty seventeen and twenty nineteen one. See, I with, really um, I I really want to watch it, but because it traumatized me so much as a child, and I am still so incredibly terrified of clowns. Like I got into a very depressive state at the you know earlier on in the year where I was just like. I felt so incredibly numb. I was just like, 
do I just watch this just to get some form of feeling back? Well, Scars Pennywise makes Tim Curry look like a cartoon character. I can believe that. Like, a, I've seen gifs of him. He's incredibly cre- creepy. There's a, apparently a super cut. Like his like voice that. is um, just... Yeah, and that thing he can do with his eyes where he can t- put them in two different directions. That That's actually real? Yeah, he can do that. That's 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 a you know of his because I remember. Um, I that was just like because I I saw effects, yeah, that, and I was just like CGI has gone so above and beyond. This actually looks real. Because <laughs> there was a really cool like behind the scenes story I was reading where uh, James McAvoy was filming Chapter Two Two with him, and um, he was saying like how amazing the effects of cgi where they could make his eyes do that thing and then bill's bill skarsgård said what do you mean this and did it in front of him made him freak out oh my goodness i don't think i've seen that yeah but um they're both tremendous i think the real genius of pennywise which stephen king has to be really commended for is he's a a villain who is equally terrifying to anyone who will see him because obviously he adapts to your fear and yeah. that that's he's like an interdimensional being that just adapts to eat fear. And that's a incredible concept in itself. Yeah. And I I, I like, think Stephen King, I really like the Stephen King. I think he but his his movies the movies of his books can tend to be a bit hit and miss. But his, him as a storyteller, he's yeah. he's got such a knack for finding new ways of all, making old stories seem fresh again. Yeah, because he's one of those where it's like, write about what you know. And I'm just like, what do you know? <laughs> not not like that, the... but, he's, but he's incredibly quick. Yeah. He, he's a very prolific author. Mm. At least about two or three novels a year. Yeah. And they're not like hacked out cash-in novels. They usually have a, have a consistently high quality. Hmm. Mm. Just makes you think of what kind of life he has. Does he just sit in his shack and write all of his life? Essentially, yeah. Because um, he's he's talked about his writing process. He's given some really great advice on on writing, where it's just like, um, oh, what was it about Muse? Because Terry used that in in one of the modules last week, actually, in one of the lectures, where it's like, um. The muse is basically the guy that lives in your basement, but you just have to go down and actually like do the work mm-hmm. and like talk to him, kind of thing. And I'm just like, that sounds like such a Stephen King thing to say that the muse is in your basement. <laughs> um, but it's the thing of like you have to basically meet them halfway, but you have to do the work and just like work through everything. Just sit down, start writing, keep writing, just do the work. <clears throat> But he's also fairly rigid on how he thinks writing works. Like, he thinks there's a right and a wrong way of doing it, which isn't yeah. necessarily shared by a lot of people. But he, he is an incredible... St- especially when, he, when you talk about Halloween, like, the, mm. the amount of, like, horror stories yeah. he's been able to tell. Yeah. That's so varied and um, eclectic. Like, there's the Carrie, which you mentioned. Was, was that the, the 1970s film adaptation of it? Yeah, talking yeah. About? Um, because obviously there was the one with Chloe Grace Moretz a few years ago that wasn't as good. Which I have seen, but it's not very memorable. Yeah, I but... think just I think when I watched that, I was just like, and just waiting for something, and just, whatever. 
Karu Stephen King's first novel as well. I thought he did one before that. Um, it was his first published novel. I actually mm. think he did write one before it, but Kai was the first. It's an incredibly kind of mature story for a new writer to, yeah. to tell, especially because mm. like he's a man writing about inherently women's problems as well, which I thought was quite interesting when I first read it. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. like one of the scenes that really sticks out is. Um... A particular shower scene where I'm like, Yes, that's the one that I was thinking of. Yeah, and it's just that thing of that sort of cusp of everything changing. It's just I mean, like, it's, does it really? But it's like, it does and it doesn't. I mean, it strikes me as a kind of brave decision for a male writer to make to decide to to yeah. to write about that because obviously he won't have any experience whatsoever about it. He's just kind of, I suppose, some, some of it would have been research, I imagine. and things like that yeah but, but like, other amounts because i'm i'm like really i think a lot of writers really struggle to write about mm. struggles other than their own that they but he managed to to do it quite well and managed yeah. to play off that kind of theme of everything changing and surrounding it with her um supernatural abilities and to yeah. kind, of, to kind then, of indicate that they were linked as well was quite clever but with that particular scene to tap into the social taboo around like menstruating and everything. Yeah. It's just like not far off. Because <laughs> the amount of shame that goes with it to the point where it is quite dehumanizing and just like, oh my God, I feel like an abnormality. I feel like a monster. And it's that thing of Carrie expressed that, I feel. But in in itself, that's addressed <clears throat> in the story as well, because that's yeah. addressed through her mother. Yeah, like, the way like she... but it, it, it's like an impure reaction, or whatever. Yeah. However, if she phrases it, yeah. So it, that, it, it's called mine. Yeah, it's really mature. I'm assuming that it might have gone differently if if it was a, if it was a woman writing it. Hmm. Yeah, because I think if it was a woman writing it, there would have been a piece about it being political. Mm-hmm. Especially if it was written now. <laughs> if a woman was writing that now, people would spin it to be like highly political and demonising men somehow. And it's just... Is it though? But I know. I don't think... <clears throat> the good thing about that story is that it... He doesn't frame it as anything abnormal in itself. Mm. Like he, he just he's he's making something taboo, yeah, and then using it as a, a character point, but also trying to normalize it in the same way. Is that odd thing of it's it's not quite? I want to say it's almost satirical to a point, <clears throat> but not in a yeah. How do I explain that? It's not satire in the sense of like. It's it's funny, but in the sense of it's taking something that is a taboo when really it should be normal. It's like look at how absolutely ridiculous you are trying to demonize and dehumanize something that is completely and utterly normal. Basically, what we're saying is Stephen King's a feminist icon. Did you see his tweets about his wife? No. <laughs> um, it was during the whole you know J.K. Rowling thing at the beginning of the year. Mm-hmm. Um. And um, somebody, it, it wasn't directly linked to J.K. Rowling, actually. That's a different thing. My mind is just 
mushing the two events together. Mm-hmm. Um, an article published about him and his wife mm-hmm. uh, donating a large sum of money or donating something to a charity. And um, Tabitha basically just kicked off as she should have. Um, I, I just, <laughs> and he used his Twitter as a platform, which is where um, I think I still have the tweets, maybe. Mm. Do I look for them? Um, yeah, so basically, in, in, it, it was a, an indirect reference to like The Handmaid's Tale, where it's just mm. like, um, it's interesting how I'm basically Stephen King and his wife. I do have a name. Wouldn't it be interesting if it was like of Tabitha? Mm. Um, or it's like Stephen of Tabitha. And I, I think he basically just handed his Twitter over to his wife and was just like, no, my wife has a name. Well, <laughs> Respect that. <laughs> I, I think in, in in the past few years, he he has been using his his platform yeah. for causes like that. Yeah, which is for for, for someone who's a, as much a kind of icon of mm. culture. It's a it's a fairly because there's a, a lot of people tend to kind of. They kind of straddle the line so they don't lose any readers. Whereas Stephen King's like, no, fuck that. This is what's right. This is what I'm going with. Yeah. And it's refreshing in a, in a, in a way. Yeah. But it's it's also something that we shouldn't be commending because it it should be what people do in anywhere. But... It's one of those things of like, these are like the basic necessities, <laughs> like the bare necessities. You're applauding someone for just basic human rights and basic human decency. Because um, the thing that I was mushing together was with J.K. Rowling. She said something about um, Stephen King mm-hmm. respecting women, um, something in that line. Mm-hmm. And um, Stephen King was basically just like, yeah, because trans women are women. And she basically backtracked, deleted her tweet and likes and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just like, thank you, Mr. King. <laughs> King I, I, I remember that. She blocked she blocked yeah. him after that, didn't she? Yeah. Because, because she tweeted. Stephen King was just like trans rights people. Because she she tweeted that she really like respected him and liked his work, and then he's yeah. he tweeted there about saying trans women are women, and she blocked him. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <It's> just... <clears throat> what a glorious day! <laughs> Don't even get me started on J.K. Rowling. We would never finish. That. Never, no, never finish this. Never finishes. In fact, maybe one day we will do a special podcast where we talk about these these things in depth, rather than just gleam off them. Um, yeah, that'll be like a five-hour special. Have to like break it into parts. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, moving on from Stephen King, I'm now going to talk about um, "Don't Look Now," which I mentioned earlier. Just mm. the the one the one with the little person in in the children's coat. So, the basically the the pitch of this is that um it's about two parents whose daughter dra- accidentally drowns, and um when she drowned she was wearing like a a red I can't remember red or yellow anyway it was it was a, like a, a waterproof overcoat, and a couple it's of years. Sorry, I'm I'm googling it. It's yeah, red. it's it's red, it's red. <laughs> Uh, that's good then. Um, and basically, they moved to Venice, and then um, they they're kind of followed by a little like what they think is a girl in a, a red coat, and like 
they're kind of followed by this girl and bad things start happening. And then at the end, I mean, I would say spoilers, but this film's like 45, 50 years old now. So if you haven't seen it by now, 1973, so it's nearly 50 years old. You definitely should watch it because it's brilliant. But um, the, the ending reveals that it's been a kind of deformed little person in a coat that's been following them and she kills them both and that's but it's it's not necessarily that twist that I like it so much it's the kind of the tension building up to it and how it plays off kind of parents grief because like for the first half of it you're led to believe that this is like a parent's guilt weighing on their mind thinking that they're seeing their daughter out everywhere because they blame themselves and then kind of find out that this is a real person that's sort of following them. And it's the, again, I overuse this word a lot when I'm talking about horror films, but atmosphere really is what makes or breaks mm-hmm. a film like this. And there is a film of, there is a feeling of being unnerved by everything about it. Even like, I think I knew the twist when I watched it because I first went to go see it on Halloween night. There was a special showing of it at the View Cinema. Um, I, I knew the twist going in and kind of thought it was a bit ridiculous. But then when it happened, it made sense and all the pieces slotted into place. But it's it's a kind of example of classic British horror, like mm-hmm. post-Hammer horror kind of thing, where we, we were doing different things with the horror genre and pushing the envelope a bit further. Mm. This is like a pre-exorcist world, but we're still kind of figuring out where the um, where the lines were, because there was also a fairly graphic sex scene in it as well, um, mm. which was like one of the first of its kind. I think uh, I think it's the, the, first, the first example of a mainstream film showing oral sex on a woman. Oh my. Yeah. This is back in 1973, so obviously it was oh my. pushing down. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. And even then, it's not like a a really gratuitous scene. It's a, mm. a scene intended to build the relationship between these two. It's also made by a really good director by the name of Nicholas Rogue, who also made um, The Man Who Fell to Earth, the David Bowie film. Oh. That was his... Um, in fact, I read a book recently by the producer, Michael... I want to say Michael Feely, but I can't remember his, mm. his name. And it's a really good book. It's called... Um, what's it called? Blade Runners, Day Hunters and Blowing the Bloody Doors Off, My Life in Cult Cinema. So I'd recommend that as a read if you're interested in that kind of thing. He it details his experiences with um, directors, and specific, specifically Michael Cimino, who is a nightmare, according to this. And Ridley Scott on Blade Runner. It's a very interesting read, and the parts about this film are very interesting too. And mm. I just really enjoyed it. And mm. it's not something typically I would enjoy because, as I say, I'm a bit kind of I blow hot and cold with horror films a lot of times. Yeah. Mm. So I guess you could say it left you quivering with anticipation. <laughs> I had to. You could say that. I had to. Uh, and then uh, I was waiting for a moment. To you was waiting well. for it. You were lying in wait. wait. Yes. I was like, "Is it an appropriate time?" I'm pouncing, anyways. <clears throat> and then for my last film, yeah. probably my favorite film is yeah. um, 
one that I also covered a few weeks ago on my site, it's The Shining. Yeah. Like, the iconic, here's Johnny! Another Stephen King story. Yeah. A film adaptation that he doesn't particularly like. But, um, I thought The Shining was somebody else. No, no I'm thinking. It, no, I'm thinking of um, which one is it? One flew over the cuckoo's nest. Yeah, that's, that's, that's somebody not else. It. But still, but that, that, but that is another very, very good film, though. Yeah, same actor whose name Ooh, I am. Completely... Jack, Jack Nicholson. Yes. How do you forget Jack Nicholson? I forget my own name. <laughs> to be fair, <laughs> you you do have His... multiple names to be working what? with, so. What's Jack Nicholson? He was. Yeah, he was. He was Joker in the Tim Burton one. Yeah. Because so I was yeah. like, there was Michael Keating. Which version was he? He, he was Bat- Batman. Yeah. He was his oh. Batman. So, yeah, um, it's because basically Stanley Kubrick took liberties with the story and made it kind of his own thing as opposed to a Stephen mm. King story. But when you're talking about Stanley Kubrick, you're talking about possibly one of the greatest directors to ever live. Mm-hmm. I mean, not particularly a very nice person, but still a still a, a very talented director. But from like an artist point of view, looking solely at the artwork produced. Yes, which is actually what, which is actually what <laughs> yeah. I was what I went in depth to talk about in the Shining yeah. review because I, I didn't really see any point in reviewing it straight laced because everybody's everybody's reviewed The Shining, everybody loves The Shining, but I, I wanted to look at specifically kind of the methods used, and like I, I could never condone what he did, mm. and especially to Shelley Duvall, who, who plays, um, I, can't remember, I can't remember her character's name, but um, she, she plays the mother. He, he did some hor- horrific things, but he is still one of the, one of cinema's greatest directors, mm. and and this film is just another example of that. How he, yeah. how he uses visuals. How he used a, a story to. He, he took a story that already existed and somehow made it into his own thing, which yeah. he also did with Two Thousand and One, which is a novel as well. Yeah. It made that into basically the blueprint for every science, every sci-fi film ever since. Mm. And it's the same way that a lot of people still use elements of The Shining now as well. Yeah. It's a, it's an actual, it's a cultural touchstone of film. It's a, it's a cornerstone of, of, of horror, just in general. Yeah, because there's so many things that you can just take from it that have basically become so iconic and like tropes, I guess. Yeah, there are so many kind of memorable parts of it. There's the. The mm. tracking shot of Danny on his trike through the hotel, which is an <laughs> yeah. amazing, amazing bit of filmmaking. Um, there's the two t- twin girls, um, the maze scene at the end, which is so tense. Um, the use of kind of kind of a fluid reality of where you're not certain what's real, what's in his head, what's actually going on, who's real, what characters are there. And kind of haunting him mm. and it, it, it didn't seem like cliche that some most of these things were in his head because it, it built into the bigger backstory of the hotel itself yeah and there've, there've, there's been a, a lot of kind of deconstruction about its ending along the years as well yeah which like a lot of like articles and 
a lot of like academic sources you can read on it. Yeah, there, there are so many analyzed so much at this film. So yeah. many people have analyzed this film frame by frame, which is why I didn't want to write a, like a a straight review of it because mm. my review would have just been it's good. Everybody knows it's good. Read other reviews. You know that's yeah. that's that's, that's no, no use. Don't know ornament. Um, I'll. I wanted to to look at it from an artistic spec, uh, point of view and mm. look at um, whether you can justify enjoying the film whilst also simultaneously uh, acknowledging the, the shortcomings of the creator. Mm. I think in the end, you, you, you can. Like, mm. It is possible to enjoy an artist's work and not particularly like the artist like i'm a big fan of the beatles but i don't i didn't like john lennon as a person mm, like yeah. i've um there's multiple kind of ways you could look at it and i think yeah. if you think that you can justify like separating them then that's completely fine for you mm. too yeah because there's one thing to to look at it with the whole thing of trying to separate the art from the artist is like the art will have been imbued with a lot of the artist's ideology. Mm. But there's also the thing of what angle do you take to look at it? And can you... And how deep do you analyse it? Yeah, yeah. Because there's, there's like some things that you can be like, take a lot of issues with, with certain ideologies. And then it's just... I mean, there's a. I it's it's very complex. Speaking very of complex. that, thinking of when I was doing my research after I'd see after I watch films, I usually then go and read about trivia about the films to see mm. if there's anything I can add into my review to make it a bit more interesting. And I yeah. discovered that um, certain people analysed Halloween as being a a kind of fable about virtuous innocence and a kind of against mm. underage kind of unmarried sex and things like that because yeah. the people who were having sex before marriage get killed in, in, in the film and yeah. um there's an interesting interview with john carpenter <laughs> where he says no it's it, it's none of that it's just a horror story it's like yeah it's because some stories don't have any ideological kind of looks they are just a horror story as and that specific i think especially in horror there are times when it is just supposed to be a, a scary story there is there mm. is no deeper meaning to this yeah and I, I think that's similar to to um when you're looking at something like kubrick is um there's first of all i don't think the shining particularly has an an ideology to speak of mm. I think it's it's it is it's a story about loneliness and psychological horror. Yeah, doesn't necessarily have the 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 only reason you know it's a Stanley Kubrick film is because it's it's made to like to within an inch of its life to be as perfect as it can possibly be. Mm. That's that's how you know it's a Kubrick because because he was a perfectionist. Yeah. So that's that's sort of been put in its films, but like, is that necessarily a bad thing? Well, it's, no, it's that's how a lot you. Of negative yeah, it's, is it? 
I think being a perfectionist is a bit of a personality trait. Yeah, it can, can be both negative and positive. Like, yeah. Because mm-hmm. I, I remember that he'd, he, um, he'd, he demanded doing 120 takes for that door scene. Yeah. Which it can be seen as a negative thing because you're making the, the actors go through this <laughs> this experience 120 times. Yeah, it's a bit excessive. and Yeah. Yeah. But 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 you see the thing is there's two sides of that coin is like yeah. he he can do it because he knows what he wants and he's he's got a like an idea of how this should look but the same mm. behavior could be exhibited by someone who has no idea and just wants to do it for the sake of doing it yeah, yeah. so it's it's that thing of what you want to take from it kind of yeah. thing yeah again it's one of those things where it's it's, it's like an an onion. There's many layers to it. All right, Shrek. <laughs> <laughs> now get out my swamp. Get out I'm not even going to attempt a Scottish accent because get out I will my swamp. It. Thank you. So um, <sighs> I think that brings us to a kind of natural conclusion of today's spooky, scary conversation mm. in in a way that it's not probably particularly yeah. spooky or scary at all. <laughs> yeah. Because I, I still have my top four Halloween films. Oh, of course. Let's um, yeah. So, what have you got? Um, I have uh, not. Are they in a particular order? They they kind of mm, they are, but they aren't. So there's Nightmare Before Christmas, mm-hmm. which we've mentioned. Yeah. What uh, Beetlejuice? Oh, I've forgotten about Beetlejuice. I love Beetlejuice. And then Casper, because that is set around oh. Halloween. Yeah. It's a Halloween party. And then, and I'm just, I'm, I'm, I am so disappointed you've not mentioned this, but like, let me just, <laughs> I say, well, try not to laugh. Hocus Pocus. Uh, of course, the old classic. That's, that's, that's how you can tell a, that's a, that's a particular favourite um, gay Halloween film, like. I mean, Bette Midler. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Bette Midler's a gay icon. And, uh, I saw, speaking of gay icons, there's a Dolly Parton Christmas movie out on Netflix this year. And my my inner queen was screaming when I heard that. I mean, Dolly Parton. Exactly. I mean, when I found out that it was actually Dolly Parton who owns Sand Dollar, who produced Buffy the Vampire Slayer, I was just like, oh my god, yes. Dolly Parton owns Buffy the Vampire Slayer and my heart and soul. Um... Of those films you mentioned, I was quite surprised that Beetlejuice slipped my mind as well. To be fair, because I really enjoy Beetlejuice, and I'm, I'm, I'm not a particular fan of Tim Burton either, but I really like like that film. Because yeah. I was just like, wait, Nightmare Before Christmas, technically Burton, but technically not, and then Beetlejuice. You also mentioned Edward Scissorhands earlier, which is another one yeah. of his. But there's also Winona Ryder. Nightmare yeah, Winona Ryder. F- yeah, she's the girl, isn't she, in, in um, Beetlejuice? Yeah, yeah Lydia Dietz. Lydia. Um, and the Broadway musical version opened, opened mm. last year, and it's, and the soundtrack's really good. Yeah, uh, I've heard bits and pieces of the soundtrack on TikTok. <laughs> I haven't watched the, the actual. It also contains one of my favourite kind of um, Halloween movie moments, and that's the Banana Boat song scene. Oh, well, they all start kind of levitating yeah it's hilarious yeah it's just one of those like icons and it's is is beetlejuice actually set around halloween or is it just a halloween classic i think it's just a halloween classic 
Yeah. Um, I think mean, there's a, a lot of things that can be said about the kind of practical designs of some of the creatures in the... Yeah. The, the, I can't remember what they call it. Is it the, the Death Realm or something like, like that? Mm. There's that like, shrunken head thing that's, yeah. that always looked really funny to me. Right, because I thought it was set around Halloween, so I was like, I'm remembering that. So technically, not I do by my own standards, technically not a Halloween film. It might be. It just um, gives me an excuse to watch it tonight and find out. Yeah, because it's like when when did I last watch Beetlejuice? Probably last year at Halloween. To be I think fair, so, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I haven't watched it this year. But then, yeah, Casper set around Halloween, Nightmare Before Christmas, Halloween, and Christmas, Hocus Pocus, Halloween. Mm. And they're speaking of Hocus Pocus and well, specifically Hocus Pocus and Beetlejuice. They've had like long-running sequels that are always kind of in the rumor mill, aren't they? Yeah. Every year there's a a poster for Hocus Pocus, and every year I'm like, please let this be real. Well, it's not gonna click it because I know it's going to say it's fake. It supposedly is real, but it's it's still in in the pre-production phases. And the the Beetlejuice sequel was definitely real at one point, but has is either it, in development hell or has been cancelled. It's just one of those things of I will believe it when I'm in the cinemas yeah. and the credits, the opening scenes are rolling. That's when I'll be like, okay, the sequel actually happening. <laughs> It'll also be really otherwise it's false. It'd be 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 really weird to see Michael Keaton as Beetlejuice now because I, I think he's. Does I see he was sixty or seventy? I think he's in his seventies now. Yeah, he's he's about seventy now, and that, that's a really weird role for a seventy-year-old to be ta- to be taking. Mm-hmm. Whether he whether he can still still has the physicality for it, you know. Yeah, I think for that they might have to recast. Whereas I think with Hocus Pocus. I don't think that's entirely necessary because all three of them look absolutely amazing. I mean, even if you don't recast it, just um, (laughs) have Beetlejuice have like a younger version of himself or have like a son that he's now got and have a younger Beetlejuice and an older Beetlejuice. But that's also the thing of like, he's he's like a a creature. He could just change his appearance thing. Just pull a Doctor Who and be like, yeah, that's that's totally me. I just choose to look like this (laughs) kind of thing. I mean, there's more to it than that, but. So, all, all in all, then, what would you say was your favorite? If you had to pick one favorite Halloween film, mm. what are you picking? So, so, yeah, you're hunkering <laughs> down Halloween night with all of the sweets that you ostensibly bought for trick or treaters, but really want to eat yourself. A big, <laughs> like, a big, big, big bowl of popcorn, but yep. all the lights are out, the curtains are closed. You're watching Hocus Pocus. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I'm probably what am I watching? I'll I'll I'd probably be watching. It'd either be The Shining or um, probably Nightmare Before Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. It's like one end of the spectrum to the other. It's, it's like two completely different. Possibly Rocky Horror. Possibly Rocky <laughs> Horror. Whereas I think with my my general my extended list, it is so incredibly eclectic. But like my top four. It's basically you could watch that with like the whole family. I mean, except not Beetlejuice. I wouldn't watch it with toddlers. I was going to say because Beetlejuice is a fifteen, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Although having said that, I watched Beetlejuice when I was like six, maybe. 
It was a different time. It was a different time. I don't time. know. When did Beetlejuice actually come out? 1988, I think. Oh, wait. Something like that. 1988. Oh, my goodness. Oh, I was a year old. Oh, baby angel. Oh, whatever happened. Whatever happened to baby Jane? Right. <laughs> <gasps> oh, my God. No, Rosemary's baby. Oh, the old the Roman Polanski one. Oh God, Roman Polanski. There's there's another um, art art artist thing. <laughs> right. Um. Oh, I am ashamed of myself for forgetting that because that that was that was horrifying. I've never seen I've, Rosemary's Baby. Yeah, I probably should. I haven't watched that in years. Oof. I've I've been kind of avoiding watching it because I I don't really want to praise it for who made it. It's the same reason why I haven't watched Chinatown either. But mm. I think that's that that's a kind of moral quandary that you have to come to a decision yourself on, isn't it, really, rather than yeah. the opinions of others. I think it's just gonna be one of those things of just like, hmm, I haven't watched that in a while. Five years later. Hmm. I still haven't got around to watching that. <laughs> oh, so, wow. Now that we both know how me and Angel are going to be spending our Halloween nights on the sofa watching uh, The Shining and Hocus Pocus, respectively, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it's um, I think it's it's time that we wrap this podcast up before we take up too much of our listeners' time. So um, we wish you all a spooky Halloween and a happy day after Halloween, I guess. Yeah, bless the Halloween, and like there's um, Day of the Dead. Day there's... of uh, Dia dos Muertos. Yeah. I speak Spanish a little bit. Um, yeah, enjoy your Dia de, los, Dia de las Muertos. And what's the other one you were saying, Angel, the other one that you mentioned? Uh, the Soin. Soin. Yeah. Yeah, and your Soin. And, of course, there's Bonfire Night over in the UK not long afterwards, which isn't related, yeah. but it's close by. So enjoy your loud noises and bright colours. I'll be tucked up inside trying to ignore them all. Mm. Um, and then next month we'll be back and we'll be taking a look at some Christmas films. Ooh. And uh, probably Revisiting Nightmare Before Christmas again. <laughs> we'll probably be mentioning that again. Yeah. Um, yeah. We shall be visiting Christmas. I'm not sure we'll be visiting Christmas next month or the month after. Both me and Angel are kind of busy with uni, but, but it will definitely be, be before the event itself. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm currently trying to like work my way through assignment hell, and it's just. I'm kind of negotiating work at the same time because I've also got a new job starting soon as well. So I'm uh, mm. all sorts of busy, but um, I do still do my reviews. I've, I've been doing them at least twice a week this month. That's at majorfilmreviews.com. A new book of all of the reviews I did this year. Uh, in the new year, with all new cover designs, I'm having a new um, caricature of myself designed by my usual designer, Graham Musk. If you haven't checked his stuff out, that's Graham Musk Designs on Facebook. And um, obviously my website is majorfilmreviews.com. You can find all of my well over 250 reviews on there from past and the present. Obviously it's more on the past at the moment because there isn't much going on in the present. Mm. Um, and yeah, that's it. Have you got anything you'd like to, to plug before we say goodbye, Angel? I don't. Not this month, no. No. 
No. Well, and that just about wraps us up for this month. If you're going to the cinemas this month, make sure to stay safe and uh, let us know what you've been to see, what you've enjoyed it. And let us know if you've enjoyed this podcast. I've been Nathan, joined as usual by my co-host, the lovely Angel Rulofs. Am I saying that name right, Angel? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, suck it. (laughs) I mean, I I would like to politely decline, but thank you for the offer, I I guess. Please no. I wasn't wasn't aiming that at you. I I was aiming that at the stereotype that English people can't do foreign things. (sighs) My head's in the gutter again. Dang it. As is my, um, my... Ability to speak a little bit of Spanish and now a little bit of German. Um, obviously Dutch, not very. Thank you. It's Dutch. Oh, you were going so well. No, I'm I'm learning German. That's what I was okay. talking about. Yeah, mm-hmm. I know that you speak Dutch yeah. because you're I'm multilingual and smart. My surname, so like. No, 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 no. no. There I go no. making assumptions, going on the attack. Mm-hmm. No. That was is you know. is is Rulof Dutch? Anyway, we'll. We need to call it a night before we get into the different denominations of black languages now. Um, yes, thank you for listening, and we shall see you again soon. Have a good Halloween. Dia de los Muertos. El Sawin? Is that the right one? Sawin. Sawin. And we'll see you again soon. Bye-bye. Hey.